2: It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Killing Tales for Darkness. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about ominous outcomes and deadly desires. Well, folks, here we are. A third week into the new year, I wonder what horrors await us. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Jay Adair and Corpse Child are voice talents Olivia Steele, Melissa Medina, Nick Goroff, Danielle Hewitt, and Creepy Face. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our theater of the minds and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale of the evening is written by Jay Adair and is performed by Olivia Steele and Melissa Medina. In it, we'll meet a young single mother fresh out of a difficult relationship who must face another challenge when she begins to sense a malevolent presence lurking in her home. So without further ado, I present to you The Ghost in the Corner.
1: Uh oh. At just over one year old, my daughter Josephine didn't say much, but she had a few expressions that she used regularly. Uh oh was one of them. She would use it when her unsteady legs would fail her and she would wipe out, or when she would sling oatmeal onto the floor after a botched attempt to scoop it onto her spoon. The expression made me smile, even when I had a mess to clean. To my frustration, she had another expression that was not so appealing, ghost. The first time she said it, she was lying on her change table while I changed her dirty diaper. She generally flailed around like a wild animal, but she was strangely calm that night, simply sucking her thumb and staring up, her gaze directed into the upper corner of her room. "'Honey, what are you looking at?' I asked, smiling. She pointed a small finger up to the corner. "'Mama, ghost.' I knew it made no sense, but I was afraid to look. However, I had to reassure her that it was nothing. After a short, internal pep talk, I sheepishly glanced up into the corner. There was nothing there, obviously.' See, honey, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's no ghost. I was ashamed of myself for even thinking twice about it. My sister Charlotte was right. My ex-husband changed me. Dave was overbearing and aggressive, and he would undermine me constantly. Two weeks after Josephine was born, he had his bags packed, chastising me on his way out the door. I could still remember the last thing he said to me. Abby, you wanted this kid, not me. You forced me into it, so now you're going to deal with it yourself. Charlotte was a hand on my shoulder after it happened and, surprisingly, often a logical counter to my illogical thoughts. Dave was wrong for me in every way, but sometimes we can't see it. Or, in my case, don't want to see it. Unfortunately, even though he had been gone for over a year, his impact on my psyche lingered. Once, confident and bold, I was a shell of that person. The preposterous thought of a ghost hiding in the corner of my daughter's room had me averting my gaze. From that night on, Josephine would point that little finger at the exact same spot, and I would hesitantly play the role of defender and reassure her there was no ghost. I reasoned that she must have picked something up from one of those spooky kids' videos I let her watch on the tablet. Or maybe it was an imaginary friend. Lots of kids had imaginary friends. Josephine didn't stop pointing at that corner. It went on and on, every night. So your daughter sees ghosts, huh? I scowled at Charlotte. She had flown in from the West Coast to stay with me for the week. She wanted to help with Josephine as much as she could, including putting her to bed. I should have made up some excuse to do it myself, but Charlotte would have sensed something was wrong. She was good at that. It's nothing, Shar. You know, this is the exact type of behavior that makes these types of things persist. I mean, <laughs> this tendency for people to ignore anything that makes them uncomfortable is... T- okay, okay, fine. I held up my hands, trying to avoid one of her lectures. What do you want to know? How long has she been doing this? About a month. Does she always point to the same spot? Yes. Have you seen anything strange? I paused just for a moment before answering. No. Stupid. She caught my hesitation. Charlotte glared at me. There had been a few oddities, sure, but they were easily explained away and nothing that Charlotte had to know about. Had I awoken to a sound from Josephine's room one night and glancing at the video baby monitor believed that I'd seen something, or... Someone leaning over her crib? Yes, but I blinked, and it was gone. That could easily be chalked up to the fog of sleep, the poor picture quality of the monitor, and too many horror movies before bed. On another occasion, had I thought I felt a hand brush through my hair as I was placing Josephine in her crib? Yes, I had. But again, I was living alone for the first time in my life, With a young baby to look after because my husband had just abandoned me. My fragile mind was playing tricks on me. I looked back at Charlotte. So? I asked. You probably have a trapped spirit in there, Charlotte said. Come on. Charlotte gave me a look I had seen before. One of concern and distress. Her voice was soft and sincere. I care about you and Josephine. I'm just telling you what I think. I know you sometimes shrug me off and think I'm a nut, and frankly, sometimes I don't blame you. But this time, it really feels like something. I sensed a presence. Well, I wasn't going to fight back now. So what do I do? I asked. Spirits are typically people who have passed on and got, well, stuck in our plane of existence. Most are just innocent observers. You can be sure, though, that all of them are confused, and they can become dangerous if they aren't handled properly. Are the Ghostbusters busy, you think? She ignored my poor attempt at humor. Most spirits don't understand where they are. This could be the spirit of, say, a mother who left behind a child and believes Josephine is her daughter. I mean, maybe she sees you as a threat. So what do I do? The only way to get rid of a spirit is to confront it and demand that it leave. I laughed. <laughs> demand that it leave. Well, people are scared to confront the unknown, so spirits can linger for years. You have to make it understand that it doesn't belong here. I shook my head. I can't even see this so-called spirit. Not sure how I'm supposed to confront it. She shrugged. The mind of a child is so different than that of an adult. Funny enough, Josephine even recognizes this thing as a ghost rather than how it appears to her, likely as a human. She has no fear, but she certainly sees and acknowledges it. Adults believe that ghosts aren't real because they don't fit into our rational view of the world. I guess you just have to think with a little less rationality. I took a deep breath. This is crazy, Char. (laughs) A few years ago, you would have marched up to that room and yelled at that corner just to shut me up. Charlotte said, grinning a bit. You mean before Dave? Of course I do. Charlotte replied. He's gone now, so I want to see some of that old Abbey spark again the next night Charlotte stayed at my parents place she insisted on Josephine staying there with her she could tell I needed a break it was a Friday night and a few of my college friends were getting together for some drinks I indulged really for the first time since I'd gotten pregnant with Josephine After five hours at the table exchanging nostalgic tales of wild nights and downing pitchers of beer like we used to, I was surprised I was able to spit out my address coherently enough that the cabbie could get me home. After stumbling through the door, I went to the fridge and grabbed an old bottle of white wine that had probably been sitting there since the day I moved into the house. It had been a good night, and I didn't want it to end even if I was just there alone, ready to pass out watching some garbage movie on TV. Before I crashed down on the couch, a thought struck me. Tonight was a good night, but I can make it a great night if I did something more, something big. I turned from the inviting couch and marched up the stairs. Throwing the door open to my daughter's bedroom, I flopped down into the rocking chair across from her change table. The unusually bright moonlight beamed through her open curtains. I could see the corner where the so called ghost resided very clearly. Flinging an accusatory finger at the corner, I took a big swig of cheap wine before making my slurred statement. All right, you asshole. I'm here now. Come on out. Show yourself! I laughed as I took another deep gulp of wine. Come on, don't be scared. Come out, come out, wherever you are. There was a change at that moment. The room got eerily cold. My hair drifted across my face, as if a window was suddenly opened and the cold winter air had filled the small bedroom. Pushing the hair from my face, I recoiled in shock. There was a woman in the room with me. Her position defied all logic. She faced me, pressed into the upper corner of the room, palms and feet pushed against the wall as if they were stuck there, holding her up in the air in this bizarre position. A long, torn, white dress hung from her emaciated figure. Strands of filthy black hair hung across her face. She was pale, almost a grey color. Her skin looked as if it was peeling away from her wrinkled face. She glared at me, her eyes cloudy white. No pupils. She bared her teeth, or what was left of them, and made a hissing sound, like a snake. Paralyzed and feeling lightheaded, I tried to focus on my breathing. Finally, I was able to spit out something. W- w- what, do- what do you want? I wasn't sure how or if she would respond, but the creature opened her mouth, a seemingly endless, dark void exposed. She spoke. Her voice, otherworldly. Gripping the bottle in my hand, I found my legs and stood. No, no, she's my daughter. The ghost hissed loudly and repeated. She looked like she was preparing to leap off the wall at me. I took a step towards her, Charlotte's words ringing in my head. No, you don't belong here, I shouted, tightening my grip on the wine bottle still in my hand, shuffling with nervous, angry energy. The ghostly woman started to push herself away from the corner. Moment of truth. Get the hell out of my house! I screamed. I wound up like a baseball pitcher, closed my eyes, and threw the wine bottle as hard as I could. Smash! I opened my eyes to see. Nothing. The woman was gone. The room felt warm again. The only evidence of the encounter a pile of glass on the change table and a hole in the now wet drywall. I sat back in the chair, dazed and stared out the hole in the wall for what must have been hours. Eventually, sleep overtook me. I didn't tell anyone what had transpired that night. Not even Charlotte. I treated Josephine's room like a quarantine zone for the next week. She slept with me, and the door to her room remained shut. After a week of waking up with Josephine's legs resting across my face... I thought it was time to move her back into her bedroom. Not just because I needed sleep, because I wanted to believe that there was nothing to be afraid of, that we had beaten it. I watched the monitor like a hawk the first night, and all was calm. On the second night, again, all seemed well. I began to drift off to sleep when I was shocked back into consciousness by a shrieking cry. Flinging the covers aside, I bolted to Josephine's room faster than I had moved my entire life. I barreled through the door with such violence that I heard the sound of splitting wood from somewhere on the doorframe. Snatching Josephine up from her crib, I held her as tightly as I could while I moved to turn the lights on. What's wrong, honey? I pleaded for an answer despite her limited vocabulary. After a week of sleeping with me, Maybe she just panicked when she had a brief wake-up in the night and saw that she was alone. Then Josephine raised her arm, and a small finger pointed up at the corner. That corner. Slowly, I looked up in the direction of her finger. Uh-oh, she said. The breath that I'd been holding escaped. Oh, Josephine said. The tension drained from my body. Tears welled up in my eyes. Yes, honey, I said with a smile. Mommy made the hole in the wall. Mommy made that uh uh-oh. I patched up the wall a few days later. For a long time, I waited for Josephine to look up there, to point and tell me the ghost was back. But she never did. Those first few months after it happened were incredibly tense, But I was ready. If anything came back, if anything threatened her, I would be there. I knew that I wouldn't be able to protect her from everything in this world as she grew up. I couldn't protect her from heartbreak, from loss, from all the challenges she would face. But I knew that if I could confront the ghost in the corner, that we would be able to confront everything else life would bring
0: hat on. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now... which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: You can live out your MasterChef dreams. When you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
2: I hope you enjoyed The Ghost in the Corner, as written by Jay Adair and voiced by Olivia Steele and Melissa Medina. As a reminder, voice actress Melissa Medina's work can be found on the official Chilling Tales for Dark Knights YouTube channel, as well as her website, hearmelissa.com. That's H-E-A-R-M-E-L-I-S-S-A dot com. Our second tale of the evening comes to us from Arthur Corpse Child, and is performed by Nick Goroff, Danielle Hewitt, and Creepy Face. There's nothing more alluring than a siren song. And in this next tale, we see what happens when a human experiences the art of fishing. In reverse. Now, without further ado, I present to you, Girl from the Deep.
3: I met Carly two years ago. I remember how we met, too. It was honestly a bit of a freak occurrence. At the time, me and a friend of mine, Caleb, were spending the summer in his grandparents' old beach house up in Myrtle Beach. I remember I was standing in line at the movies, wigging out to Caleb about the new Halloween movie. I heard it was directed by the dudes who made Saw. I remember shouting in his face. Yeah, the suck ass ones. He said, scoffing. I remember how I was even jumping around like a little kid hopped up on too much candy. Come on, can't we just watch the new Conjuring movie instead? I remember looking at him like, please tell me that was just a bad joke. It was no small secret, I was not a fan of these movies. Really dude? I chided condescendingly.
4: What? What's wrong with it?
3: I made a fake i am so scared face.
4: It's based on a true story.
3: He rolled his eyes and added.
4: At least it might have some actual scares in it. I've heard the new Halloween is just
3: a gore fest. As if, I scoffed. How can you beat a classic like Halloween? In my excitement, I bumped right into the girl in line behind me. This caused us to topple onto the ground, me landing elsewhere but right on top of her. For a moment we stared at each other on the ground facing each other with our eyes the size of serving platters oh uh i stammered a- are are you okay she just continued staring back up at me face chiseled in an expression of pure shock from behind me i could hear the sound of a photo snapping looking back i saw caleb standing there with a shit-eating grin holding his phone up seeing this i scrambled off of her to my feet he started snickering, and I could see the crowd form around us. What the hell are you doing? Oh, don't mind me, he remarked, his grins still on full blast. I was about to try and rush him to snatch the phone and chuck it halfway across the street, when from behind me, I heard a soft voice ask,
5: Was it a good pick?
3: I snapped my head around to see her on her feet, too. She was smirking kind of sheepishly. Instantly, my body tensed up again. Oh, uh, I... I, uh... And I stuttered. She started giggling. My tongue froze again. Come on, dingus, you're blowing it here. Get your shit together. Pete. I finally blurted. Huh? She asked. Come again? Oh, uh, my name is Pete. I chuckled nervously, feeling less than two seconds from a heart attack, and shakily held my hand out to her. She stared at me for a moment, seemingly confused. Her eyes seemed to lock directly onto mine. In a way, I could feel them boring through me. For a moment, I thought I could see something else in those eyes. Something like, maybe worry? Or fear? I looked behind me to see that the line was moving. Caleb was third in line now to the ticket booth. I turned again, back to her her face still fixed in that worried-looking expression. I signaled to him that I'd be right there. He rolled his eyes and mouthed for me to hurry the hell up. I was the one with the money for tickets. Suddenly, she started blinking rapidly, broken from her stupor. Huh? She asked. What happened? Oh, um, nothing. I just told you my name was Pete, and you just sort of zoned out there. Everything okay? She smiled again and nodded her head.
5: Yeah, sorry.
3: She said, chuckling.
5: Sometimes I just get lost in myself, you know. I'm Carly, by the way.
3: Ah, well, you want to join me and my buddy? We're going to see the new Halloween.
5: Oh, um, sure, why not?
3: She smiled, and I bit my lip. I remember getting to the ticket booth and Caleb looked at me confused before grinning, knowing I'd just scored a date with my little embarrassment. The movie was enjoyable enough, but I was barely even concentrating on it. See, I'm one of those who will talk during a movie, even in the theaters. Despite almost getting into a fist fight with some of the other patrons on certain occasions because of this, Caleb would usually try to ignore me, but not her. Actually, turns out Carly was the same way, so we spent the entire time gawking, laughing, and chatting back and forth about the movie. Though. As I said, I was barely focused on the screen, I couldn't take my eyes off of her for more than 30 seconds without finding my gaze locked back on her. I mean, she was beautiful, sure, drop dead fucking gorgeous in fact, but it wasn't just that, it was something else about her, something more, something, I don't know, hypnotic in a way. Still bottom line, that night went from a great night to fucking amazing. All because I made a fool of myself. Towards the end of the movie, despite what I just said, somehow I didn't notice she'd laid her head on my shoulder and fallen asleep. When I woke her up, she jolted awake, frightened.
5: Huh? What happened?
3: She exclaimed, throwing her head left and right. Whoa, sorry. Didn't mean to scare you. Movie's over though. She began to relax a little. I could tell she was still tense about something. Hey, is everything okay?
5: Oh, uh, yeah. What time is it, though?
3: I looked at my phone. Uh, 12.30. Her eyes bugged out again. Why? What's wrong?
5: Oh, shit. My folks are gonna kill me. I was supposed to be home an hour ago.
3: She started ruffling her hands frantically through her hair. Hey, it's okay if... If you like, I can give you a- No. She blurted, startling me.
5: No, I mean, that's not necessary.
3: It's really no trouble, I said trying to be reassuring, and pretty obviously failing. She Sh- shook her head and said,
5: No really, it's fine. I don't live that far away anyway. It's better if I just go ahead and go. Plus I stand a better chance of sneaking by unnoticed if I don't have another person announcing my presence, you know?
3: Oh. Yeah. I conceded. Well, um, I had fun tonight. As she was turning to leave, I shot out my hand and shouted, Wait! She spun around. I started digging in my pockets, pulling out my ticket stub and pen, and scrawling my phone number. Um, call me sometime. Maybe we can hang out again. She giggled before pocketing my number and leaving. So yeah, that's how all that started. It was only the weekend after that that our second date was booked, this time being to the water park. That was where I learned she used to be on her high school swim team and work in the summertime as a lifeguard. I'll say this much, she could swim circles around my ass. Turned out that she lived right along the beachfront here in Myrtle Beach. I remember thinking how cool that was. I'm gonna call you Ariel from now on, I joked. Her face seemed to shrink at this. You know, from The Little Mermaid?
5: Oh, uh, yeah. I know what you meant. Just, I don't know. I'd rather not be called that.
3: Oh, I said, feeling stupid. Sorry. She shook her head and grinned again.
5: Don't worry about it. Wanna get some ice cream?
3: I immediately jumped up with a resounding... Hell yeah. Just like at the movies, that day went awesome too. We spent the entire day splashing around at the water park like little kids. Soon six o'clock rolled around and it started to get dark. That's when Carly insisted that she leave. Are you sure? I mean, the park's open for another couple of hours.
5: Yeah, I think it's better I go ahead and head back though.
3: She winked and added, smiling.
5: Be nice to avoid another incident like last time, right?
3: Oh yeah, I said. Good point. I sighed, disappointed. I was really hoping to stay until closing. They turned the hot tubs on at 7 until closing. She walked up to me, smiling, and put her arms around my waist, whispering in my ear.
5: I had fun with you, though.
3: Following this, she planted a kiss on my cheek. That caused my heart to stop. She then turned and left, leaving me standing there, jaw slack. That night, I was up tossing and turning. I couldn't help it. I couldn't stop thinking about her. I kept having this dream where, for some reason, she was standing in front of the ocean, facing me, smiling warmly. She curls her finger, beckoning me forward. I start towards her, compelled by some force like a leash is pulling me towards her. She backs slowly into the ocean behind her. My own stride quickens. I reach out to her. Wait! I cry. She continues to be swallowed by the tide. I begin running for her, determined to reach her before she's gone, just before the ocean swallows her. I leap forward, hurling myself head first like a spear into the water. Instantly, everything around me becomes black. I'm heading downwards, face first into a black, boundless, fathomless abyss. I hear nothing. My ears feel like they've been stuffed with cotton. My arms and legs feel like feathers on my body. Despite this, my lungs don't burn. In fact, I don't feel my lungs anymore, instead I feel a sort of resonance around me, a heart pounding all around me, like from a giant drum. It gets more and more intense, and I begin to feel sharp pains shooting across the sides of my neck. From below, I see thousands of human-looking figures swimming up from the abyss. They begin circling around me. My vision becomes blurry, rounded in a way. I look at my hands to see that there's now skin between each finger, forming webs between them. I'm shocked and horrified, yet I'm unable to scream. The people close in around me. I can see them clearly now. They're tall, green, and scaly with palpitating gills on their necks and webbed hands. I just float, seemingly suspended in place defying gravity in the dark, murky depths of the ocean. Each and every one of them looks the same as the gill man from the creature from the Black Lagoon. One of them was a female, judging from her breast's appearance or at least the aquatic resemblance. The fish creature's eyes lock onto mine. I'm once again spellbound. She puts her webbed hands around my face, puckers her scaly lips, and Pete! I was instantly pulled out of the dream. I was standing outside of the back deck of the condo in my boxers. Huh? How, how in the hell did I get here? Pete, bro, what the heck is going on with you? He asked, sounding more shocked at its bizarreness.
4: First you toss around in the bed, uh, muttering yourself like a crazy person. Now I find you out here damn near in the buff. bro. You been smoking?
3: For a moment, I just stood there. I didn't know how to begin making any kind of excuse. To even do that, I'd have to understand what was going on, but I didn't. All I knew at the moment was that, at one moment, I was sleeping, dreaming about chasing a pretty girl into the ocean. Next, I dream of being surrounded by fish people and becoming one myself. And now, there I was out in the open in my fucking skibbies. Needless to say, I was far beyond confused. Uh, uh, I stuttered. No. He continued looking at me, bewildered. I I mean, not much. (laughs) So then, what the hell was going on? Just to clarify, I don't smoke, drink, or do anything like that. Then again, I don't typically sleepwalk either, or dream of fish people for that matter. In the end, I just copped to the sleepwalking alibi, which I could tell he had difficulty buying. Despite this, probably because it was 3.30 in the morning, he just shook his head and went back to bed. But what the hell happened? How did I get here? Then another question popped into my head. How much farther would I have gone Caleb hadn't woken me up. I started thinking about the dream again, standing in the ocean, facing Carly. Was that where I was going? To the ocean? Why? Now, the simplest explanation to all that was that I was a love struck dumbass, and I guess my subconscious was trying to act out my latest wet dream. I mean, this was brought on, or likely was anyway, by Carly kissing me on the cheek. Yeah, that's it. That's all it is. I'm just having a weird dream about a girl, and I started sleepwalking. With that, I decided to go back to bed, though going back to sleep was nigh impossible. Instead, I spent the remainder of that night watching Netflix on my phone, About six o'clock or so, the sun just starting to peek out from above the horizon, I get a call from Carly. Hello. I answered, still pretty groggy. I was still tired, even if I couldn't sleep.
5: Hey there. Listen, you doing anything big tonight?
3: No, not really. Why?
5: You want to meet up at the beach later on tonight?
3: Sure, Uh, what time?
5: About six-ish when the sun starts going down.
3: You're on. I heard her giggle on the other end before saying,
5: Awesome. See you there.
3: She hung up after that. I paid back, smiling, watching the sunrise through the window. Petey, old boy, you've done it again. All that day, I felt free as the seagulls that were flocking on the beach, scrounging for breadcrumbs. Nothing was going to ruin my day. Caleb noticed this too. What's got you so hyped, huh? I just grinned. Let me guess.
4: It's that one girl, ain't it? Maybe. I replied, not at all subtly. Why? Well, I had to figure it was either that, or you're still tripping ass on whatever it was you were on last night.
3: That made me pause. Up to then, I'd forgotten about that little incident. Speaking of which...
4: Am I gonna get any story
3: on what the fuck was going on there? Oh. That. I replied, chuckling embarrassingly. I don't know. I guess I was just sleepwalking. Sleepwalking, huh? He scoffed and said.
4: Well, they do say there's a first time for everything. But I'm still wondering, what was making you wig out the way you were? What do you mean? I mean, you were flopping around worse than a live fish on the grill, you were also whispering something in your
3: sleep, something about wait for me or something, I don't know." Now I was curious, see, like I'd been saying, I wasn't a sleepwalker. The same would apply to talking in my sleep as well. At the same time, it's not like I could call bullshit either, I mean, I was standing out in my underwear after apparently sleepwalking, that plus the utterly weird-ass dream making my sleep pretty restless, all seemed to add up to what Caleb was saying. What wasn't adding up was why. Why did that happen? Why, after all my life of never having any problems with sleeping in a noisy city, am I now having incidents like the previous night? I thought again back to the water park.
5: I had fun with you, handsome.
3: Carly, I wondered. Is she the reason why? Yes, I know, that sounded cheesy enough to make every Hallmark Channel director blush. Hell, we'd only met. But what other explanation was there? Something else far in the back of my head told me that there was another aspect of this. This may not just be some love-at-first-sight-destined-to-be-together-forever type of deal here. But then again, what is it exactly? I decided then to ask Carly when I saw her that evening. How that would help, I wasn't sure. But the way I figured, it's the only way I was going to get some answer. So the day passed with me and Caleb just screwing around at the boardwalk. I had fun, of course. But at the same time, I just couldn't help thinking about the ocean. About Carly. I couldn't really explain it. But I was itching to go to the beach right then and there. No. Actually, it was more than that. I was being compelled, summoned to the beach somehow. Not only this, but my entire body felt hot as well. My insides felt like they were cooking inside my skin. I had to get out of my clothes. They were too hot. My mouth was dry. I needed the ocean. I needed water.
4: Yo, Pete!
3: I heard a voice shouting behind me.
4: The hell are you doing?
3: I snapped around to see Caleb standing in line for the ice cream stand, looking confused at me, looking down. I saw that I was in the open, stripped, buck ass nude. I could see a crowd gathering around. I froze up. Uh, uh, I stammered.
4: Dude, put your freaking clothes back on.
3: Quick as I could, I scrambled to put my jeans back on before me, and Caleb scurried out of the boardwalk and back to the condo. When we made it back, after slamming and locking the door and making sure the cops weren't on their way, he instantly started pressing me as to what had just happened. "I I don't know. I swear to God. Look, he said, exasperated. I need you to be straight with me, okay?
4: Are you high right now? Are you stashing any drugs around here? What's gotten into you? Because you're really starting to freak me out a bit here.
3: I shook my head. I'm telling you, I don't know. I'm not high. I, I, I don't know what just happened. Okay. Well,
4: can you at least tell me what was going through your head when you decided to just up and present yourself for
3: God and the world to see? I don't know, I felt hot, like I was in an oven, I felt like I wanted to get out of my skin. I remembered wanting to go to the ocean so badly for some reason, like I was being called to it. I don't know. He stood blinking at me in confusion. That's all I remember. I'm serious, though. I'm not high. He rubbed his eyes. He was just as lost as I was, if not understandably more so.
4: So, let me get this
3: straight here. He said, sighing.
4: You're feeling called to the ocean, and you feel like your skin is too hot, which then makes you wander off and strip
3: out in the open.
4: Twice now, all of this, and you're
3: not high. My face fell into my hands. Despite that being exactly what happened, how could I make him understand that? Hell. How was I supposed to make myself understand that? I don't know, man. I cried through my palms. He sighed
4: and said, Look, bro. We've been buds since high school, okay? You know you can tell me shit. I got
3: your back. Just tell
4: me what's going on.
3: I don't know, I exclaimed. How many times do I have to say it? I don't know. Ever since last night, after Carly left the water park- Aha! He interrupted, a grin parting the corner of his lip. So that's
4: what this is all about. Why didn't you just say that in the beginning? Say what? That girl's got your balls.
3: (laughs) He threw his head back and cackled. This didn't amuse me. What are you talking about? Come on, dude. Ever since you
4: bowled her over at the movies, you've been going nuts about her. After seeing her at the water park, all dolled up in a swimsuit, you're fucking whipped."
3: He chuckled. "'Whatever, man, screw this,' I said, getting up and stomping towards the door. I felt this hand grab my shoulder, stopping me.
4: "'Whoa, where the hell do you think you're going?'
3: "'Out,' I snapped, agitated at his snide remarks. As well as this, I started feeling hot again. Stuffy and hard to really breathe. He started wrapping his knuckles on my forehead.
4: Uh, hello? Anyone home? You just forget that the cops are probably looking for you after that little stunt at the boardwalk?
3: Look, I'll be fine. Just move. I batted his hand away and continued for the door. I could now feel my legs getting lighter and lighter. Weaker. You plan on telling me where you're sauntering off to? I glared at him. My vision started to blur a bit, but I could still see him. The beach. There. Happy now, Dad? I opened the door. Outside, the sky was starting to turn bright, burning orange. The sun was going down. I have to go to Carly. I have to get to the ocean. My vision blurred more and more my head began to spin. It felt so hot, so dry. I had to get to the ocean quickly. I was burning up. Before I knew it, I was taking off at full speed. My mind was blank. Only one thing occupied my focus. Getting to the ocean and seeing her. My legs were weak, and my lungs were all but flaccid, but I didn't care. I was going to get to the beach, to the ocean, The world around me started to warp, looking more and more rounded. The closer I got, the hotter I felt, inside and out. I imagined the way the waves would cool me off once I made it. I'd feel like being a fish. Soon, I was able to see the beachfront. It was mostly empty, being that the sun was half gone now. There, almost silhouetted against the sunset's burning red beam. Carly stood, facing me, waiting for me, and calling to me. When I made it to the shoreline, she smiled. I stood, breathless, burning up and feeling weak. The way my body felt, I thought my skin would melt off like butter in a microwave. Still smiling, she curled her finger at me, winking. I began staggering mindlessly towards her. I saw her take baby steps backward with every step I took towards her. The water felt cool across my skin as my feet entered, not too hot, not too cold. It was soothing. The further I waded in, the more my body seemed to cool off. More than that, it seemed to go numb, like it almost wasn't there anymore. started from my feet and continued through my body the further I entered. She continued stepping backward, descending further into the tide. From behind her, I saw what looked like dorsal fins approaching in my direction. What the hell are those sharks? Despite this, I keep moving forward. I couldn't stop. The fins started circling around me and Carly. Carly finally disappeared, and I dove headfirst after her. The ocean was murky, making it impossible to see how deep it was at the bottom. It seemed to go on forever as well. I swam and swam as hard as I could, struggling to continue forcing myself downward. As I went along, I felt sharp searing pains shoot throughout my body, starting from my ribs. My eyes widened when I saw three large gashes or slots open wide across them. It felt like someone had taken a serrated knife across my body, flaying me open. When I went to feel them, my heart almost stopped completely. Seeing that large fleshy webs were now connecting between my fingers. I could feel panic course through me, And I began flailing frantically to pull myself back to the surface Eventually I couldn't feel my arms or legs anymore Despite this I noticed I wasn't sinking Instead I just floated there Suspended in the middle of the ocean depths All around me I watched as a bunch of figures started swimming around They swarm in one large horde around me a school of fish, essentially forming a sort of ring. The longer I watched, the more I was able to distinguish a few of them individually. That's when I realized those were the same fish people from my dream. All of them were green and scaly, with webbed hands and gills across their ribs and neck. I could see their rounded, marbled eyes examine me as they revolved around me. Suddenly they stopped. They now floated still like I was, seeming to defy gravity, as one of them floated up from directly below me. As it swam closer, I could see that it was female, just like my dream, with scaly, slippery breasts and an hourglass-shaped body. She also had long, light-colored strands that resembled hair, though likely wasn't hair, that flowed from her head. Her mouth parted in what I guess was a smile, exposing many rows of small ivory inlaid teeth. She took my hands in hers, and from around me, I heard the simultaneous sound that reminded me of what a humpback whale sounds like when doing a mating call. I could do nothing except float there, my body being too exhausted. Her lips began to move. And just very faintly, I could hear her say in a deep-toned version of Carly's voice. Kiss me, my love. She then worked her webbed hand up to my neck, cupping it, before meeting her lips to mine. She pulled away and looked behind me, opening her mouth and letting out a heart-stopping shriek. The moment our lips touched, the wail-calling noise from the others increased in pitch. Her lips stayed stuck to mine for almost a full minute, when from the corner of my eye, I noticed the others begin to disperse and start swimming around frantically, the way bees do when the hive is disturbed. When I looked behind to see what the commotion was about, my jaw dropped. It was Caleb, swimming headfirst straight for me. Relief flowed through me. I'm saved. He'll be able to get me. However, my relief was cut off as I watched them began to swarm around him. He struggled furiously, viciously punching and kicking at his assailants, but it did him no favors. They were too quick to sink their piranha-like teeth into his flesh and eat him. Caleb's eyes were wide with horror, his face twisted with excruciating pain as they continued to maul him. Some of them grabbed at his flailing limbs and began pulling causing them to start ripping from his body. I could see a cloud of red spread across the murky water. I finally managed to break from my earlier state of entropy, and I darted through the water to try and get away from them. I was stopped, however, when the fishwoman tightly grasped my ankle. She pulled me back, embraced me, and said,
5: Stay with me, handsome. We'll never die. We'll always be
3: together. Down here. She moved in to kiss me once again, when I shoved her away. For a second, she was still. Her rounded eyes somehow opened wider in shock, before she let out another shriek and darted through the water towards me. With quicker reflexes than I ever thought possible, I dodged her just as she would have seized me. I was able to grab her and sink my teeth, now serrated like hers, into her neck. She let out a series of sharp screams that echoed throughout the abyss around us as she squirmed against me. With a single jerk, I tore a chunk from her scaly neck, the size of my palm. Her body almost immediately relaxed, and I let go of her. She fell slowly to the dark, boundless depths below. When I looked up, I saw the others staring back at me, horrified and disgusted. Having all but devoured Caleb by that point, I could tell that I was now their second course after what I'd just done. Thinking quickly, I took off, shooting straight up through the water. I didn't dare chance a look behind me. I didn't need to. Their enraged shriek signaled that they were gaining on me fast. I focused solely on the surface of the ocean. Soon, I was able to see the surface. With one final push, I did it. I broke the surface. From there, I quickly scrambled back to the shore before collapsing, exhausted once again. It was at least a good ten or fifteen minutes that I just laid there, completely spent both physically and mentally. It was sort of a slow digression. The next thoughts and emotions I felt. Starting with relief, I had made it out. My body looked normal again, looking like regular human flesh rather than a fish like it was earlier. Then came complete confusion. What was that? What the fuck just happened down there? What was happening to me? This was then replaced by grief over Caleb, my friend. Who'd always had my back since high school. Who tried to save me from whatever the fuck that was in the ocean. Now fish food. Finally, this was capped off with a sense of raw terror. They're after me now, aren't they? I knew they wanted to kill me for what I did down there. I had seemingly betrayed them and murdered one of them. For that, they won't forgive me. I was able to stumble my way back to the condo, where I immediately began packing everything of mine I could find. Looking back, I'd likely forgotten a few things, but I couldn't have cared less. I just wanted to get the hell out of Dodge the first chance I could. I was on the highway by sunrise, heading out of Myrtle Beach. I haven't gone back since then, and I never want to. They're still there. I just know it. Somewhere deep beneath the ocean, farther down than most will ever see. They're still there waiting for me to return so they can finish me. And they'll never stop. For they don't die like the rest of us. Now, though. I suppose neither do I I still don't know exactly how my body became the way it is But I'm willing to bet it had something to do with Carly How and or why though I don't think I'll ever be able to tell you All I can say is I'm scared For the past two years now I've essentially shut myself away in my house, living as a hermit. I don't want to go back, but it's getting harder and harder to resist. My body always feels so hot, and I can't physically exert myself much at all anymore without feeling breathless and weak. I've managed to get by by making money working from home on my computer along with living off of delivery, pizza, and takeout. But I'm worried I won't last much longer. Even as I say this, my body feels so hot and I grow weak, barely able to stay conscious. It's the ocean. I can feel it. It's calling me to it. And I don't want to go.
2: I hope you enjoyed Girl from the Deep as written by Corpse Child and performed by Nick Goroff, Danielle Hewitt, and Creepy Face. Corpse Child is 21 years old with a fascination with the art of terror and the macabre. When he's not watching horror movies or reading horror novels or stories, he's always crafting his own chilling gospels of horror to terrify and eternally rob you of a peaceful slumber. Currently, he publishes most of his work to Reddit, under his pen name, Corpse Child. Creepyface's performances can be found right here on our very own network, as well as on his YouTube channel by the same name. Check him out and leave a kind word or review. Be sure to let him know you heard him here. You won't be sorry that you did. If you enjoyed Danielle's performance... You can hear more of her on the Chilling Tales YouTube channel, where she holds the third place championship title for 2019's Evil Idol competition. You'll also find more of her work on the Wicked Library and Creepy Podcast at www.creepypod.com. Voice actor in 2016, Evil Idol champion Nick Goroff's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Knight's YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also join Nick on his YouTube channel, Wizard of Cause. As for me, I'll be right here this time next week. On that note, be sure to check out the other shows we offer on our network. We have Horror Hill, airing Thursdays for your hardcore, more brutal offerings. Drew Blood's Dark Tales airs Friday, featuring some southern down-home horror. Fear from the Heartland airs Wednesdays. Longtime resident Otis Jiry has a show on Sunday nights that features two stories on the Standard Edition, as well as two more which can be accessed through our Patrons area. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight, and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012 and consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week, when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener sweet dreams.
4: (laughs) Chilling Tales for Dark Nights